Health officials have still not been able to find the infection source of the two local COVID cases announced on Sunday. The two cases are connected to a growing cluster infection at Taoyuan General Hospital that now involves 15 cases. Across northern Taiwan, a mass quarantine campaign is underway to uncover new cases and control viral spread. So far, 2,991 people have been served orders to complete home isolation under the campaign. After a day's work, there are now 2,991 people under the 14-day home isolation order. We need a little more time to deliver notices to some home isolators because the notices need to be delivered in person. With the cluster infection growing, the CECC is expecting to place 5,000 people in home isolation. So far, it's tracked down 2,991 people, many of whom were either inpatients at the hospital or their caregivers. Anyone who lives with them is instructed to wait for a home isolation order and to not leave the house. The government's 1922 COVID hotline has been ringing off the hook. From 7 p.m. to midnight, there were 9,721 calls. That's a huge number. Less than 30 percent of those calls were answered. By this afternoon, we should be able to get that rate back up to at least 90 percent. I would hereby like to apologize for the trouble. Chen apologized and said staff members would be added to manage the hotline. The CECC has already marshaled local health bureaus, police officers and neighborhood officials to execute the home isolation order. The order affects inpatients discharged from Taoyuan General Hospital between January 6 and 19, all their caregivers and anyone who resides with them or their caregivers. They are subject to 14 days of home isolation starting from the day they were discharged from the hospital. After that, they need to be tested and undergo an additional seven days of self-health management. The home isolation order also applies to anyone who came into contact with patient 889 at the hospital during his visit. With the outbreak spiraling quickly, the CECC has been criticized for being slow to respond initially. They judged it to be a localized outbreak, so the measures that were taken followed this judgment. But looking back, of course the measures taken at the beginning weren't perfect. It's true. I don't know how they are going to manage 5,000 people. It's extremely complicated and requires a lot of resources. We currently have more than 40,000 people in home quarantine. During our peak period last year, on March 21st, we had 40,000, and we had 52,000 on March 28th. I expect that this time, we won't have so many people during the peak period, which should last until January 27th. The containment orders are expanding, as are COVID anxieties. A wave of returnees is expected ahead of the Lunar New Year. Chen says Taiwan will be on heightened alert until at least February 4th, while experts believe the alert will stay in place for much longer. The Taoyuan city government has aggressively tightened controls to curb its escalating hospital cluster. Effective immediately, all school classes and camps scheduled for the ongoing winter vacation have been cancelled. A ban on all large gatherings is also in place until February 28th. The schoolyard is empty, devoid of all students and noise. It's because early morning on Monday, the Taoyuan city government called a halt to all classes and camp activities scheduled for winter break. Early this morning, I was informed that we are to cancel all winter session classes. So today, our students will leave at noon and not return for afternoon classes. Not only are classes and club activities cancelled, some field trips have been called off too. As the city stepped up efforts to contain COVID, elementary school winter camps were abruptly closed. 
and parents were summoned to take the children home. This affects community activity centers and public venues. Because we want to avoid the risk that comes from gathering, we have temporarily suspended the loaning of these spaces. We hope this measure can contain the hospital cluster as well as community spread. To curb COVID, all large-scale gatherings and activities scheduled up to February 28th must be postponed or cancelled. In addition, public spaces will not be available to rent. With the city and its officials on high alert, the crowds have thinned considerably at the Taiyuan railway station. The area outside the station is deserted, with a long queue of taxis sitting idle. We dispatch a car every one and a half hours now. Before, we'd wait just 20 minutes. Everybody is afraid of COVID, but we've still got to eat, so we still need to be out here with our taxis doing shifts. The cabbie says life has to go on despite the outbreak. He says he hopes he'll muster through once more with both livelihood and health intact. COVID controls are also being tightened in areas adjacent to Taoyuan. Shinzu City, too, has announced the end to winter session classes and camps at public schools. Up north in New Taipei, officials have suspended inpatient visits at the city's 54 hospitals, while limiting every inpatient to having just one carer. In addition, at least 14 residents of New Taipei and six from Taipei will need to comply with a home isolation order issued by the central government last Sunday. The numbers are expected to increase in the coming days as contact tracing continues. The Armed Forces Chemical Warfare Division has been deployed to carry out a deep disinfection at the Taoyuan General Hospital. The troops have attended every major scene of an outbreak in Taiwan, from the Diamond Princess to charter flights from abroad. The division's more than 1,000 highly trained soldiers have a wealth of experience dealing with biological hazards. As the Taoyuan cluster spreads, these chemical warfare troops are back in action. With disinfectant systems strapped to their backs, dressed head-to-toe in white hazmat suits, they venture wherever the virus leads them. From the Diamond Princess to charter flights for returning expats, the team's inspection truck was there. They used the same rigorous procedures when facing a biochemical weapons attack or laying a smokescreen on the battlefield. They use the instruments in the truck to detect whether there is any radiation in the immediate environment or an attack from any biological or chemical warfare agents. Because it carries these instruments and the ability to deal with them, that means the truck itself also possesses some degree of biochemical warfare capability. The Chemical Warfare Division traces its founding back to the Sino-Japanese War. Before COVID, this commander says the greatest challenge of his career was SARS. In the face of COVID-19, before all missions, we spent an enormous amount of time training personnel to put on the gear, prepare the disinfectant, and handle the equipment. We went through extremely comprehensive and meticulous training for all that. 17 years ago, SARS gave us this experience and these lessons. At the promotion ceremony for new generals in early January, all eyes were on those winning honors for the services regarding the pandemic. One was Liu Zhihong, commander of the Biochemical and Nuclear Training Center, who certainly earned his stripes. Establishing capacities also consumes a lot of funds. In reality, you don't know when you will use those skills. From the perspective of the reserve strength of the army, they are a necessary element. But as far as battlefield upgrades go, they're probably not a big part of that. 
So you can say they are a logistical support unit which works very hard and achieves great things. Normally fighting an invisible enemy behind the scenes, COVID has thrust the Chemical Warfare Division into the limelight, providing backup for the frontline workers in hospitals. Since 2015, the registered population of Taipei has declined year by year. Last year in particular, Taipei saw its greatest drop ever of more than 40,000 people, which represented the most severe negative growth of any city or county. Experts say the exodus is due to Taipei's high housing prices and cost of living. Because Taipei's housing prices continue to remain high and salary hikes are still not keeping pace with inflation, more and more young adults are feeling that a longer commute is worth a better quality of life. I think what's even more of a warning is that a large part of this net population outflow is the so-called younger generation. Last year their outflow was as high as 28,000 people. This shows that Taipei City cannot hang on to young people. As far as the Taipei City government is concerned, in the past young people supported Mayor Kerr. So why, after he has been mayor for so many years, are young people not willing to remain in Taipei? This is a topic that is really worth reflection and discussion. These Taipei defectors are likely to become a headache for Taipei Mayor Ko Wenzhou, who is in the last two years of his term and is looking to run for president. President Tsai Ing-wen paid a visit to the Songshan radar station at Yangmingshan on Monday. The Air Force facility detects intruders in Taiwan airspace, providing crucial early warning in the event of a Chinese attack. Tsai spoke to the personnel stationed there and thanked them for keeping Taiwan safe. Let's go to her now. From the briefing I heard today, your achievements are apparent. Since last year, this radar station detected almost 2,000 Chinese warplanes and 400 warships. Your work has allowed us to respond quickly to monitor and dispel them, protecting our airspace and territorial waters. Your great performance instills me and the Taiwanese people with confidence. The radar station is located at an altitude of 1,214 meters. We can see shortly here the snowfall that blanketed the site during a cold snap earlier this month, which had no effect on training or operations. Lawmakers are faced with nothing less than a marathon to pass a 2021 government budget by Friday. The DPP accuses the KMT of trying to run out the clock by packing the agenda with nearly 3,000 amendments. In last week's cross-party negotiations, lawmakers agreed to slash 25.5 billion NT from the 2021 budget plan. The next step is to agree on what to cut. The DPP hopes to put the bill up for a final vote on Friday. Actually, we're running short on time. We're extremely worried. The budget war is on. The KMT had initially put forward 2,800 amendments and was accused of trying to logjam proceedings. In recent days, it's merged and withdrawn many of its proposals, leaving only 500 on the agenda. But the controversy has continued. One contentious amendment was proposed by KMT lawmaker Chen Yuzhen. 
Arguing that Taiwan's new pork policy requires tougher border inspections, her bill calls for freezing 10 million NT in the budget of the Taiwan CDC. The DPP says the proposal mixes unrelated issues. The DPP caucus also accuses the KMT of copying and pasting text to create proposals that are largely identical. Bills produced to bombard the system are bound to be low quality. They copied content from the budget center, from other lawmakers, or from their own proposals, changing up numbers and some subject titles. It's a waste of paper. These proposals are meaningless. That's because our views on the issues are similar. For example, fees for international travel. That's something everyone's thought of. With the pandemic raging, there's no point in setting out a budget for international travel. Saying that they are identical simply means that we have a consensus. The KMT says the first thing to go should be the 120 million NT budget for promoting the citizen-judge system. The budget is for developing mobile games, online video content, and other promotional material, which the KMT calls unnecessary. The KMT also wants to slash Premier Su Zhenchang's special allowance by half, alleging that he's misused it for the purpose of attacking the opposition party. As they say, he who has a mind to beat a dog will easily find a stick. Don't oppose something simply for the sake of opposition. Isn't the point of the budget review to be the people's watchdog over the government? But DPP lawmakers aren't proposing any of their own bills. They're spending all their time being a watchdog over the KMT's bills. The regular session of the Legislative Yuan will start February 1st. If lawmakers cannot pass the budget by the end of the extraordinary session on Friday, the session will be extended through the weekend. A schoolteacher held a cultural event on Sunday that brought traditional Nicaraguan food and classical Chinese music to New Taipei. This cozy neighborhood event was attended by Nicaragua's top envoy to Taiwan, Ambassador Mirna Mariela Rivera Andino, who was very thankful for a taste of home. The Nicaraguan ambassador takes a bite and breaks into a smile. In Taiwan, it's not easy finding food that tastes like the real thing back home. This cultural exchange event was organized by elementary school teacher Regina Yao, who arranged a performance by her school's Chinese music ensemble. Yao said she hopes the event will bring Taiwan and Nicaragua closer. When you visit Nicaragua, you will love every aspect of it. But our traditional cuisine is definitely the one that takes the price. Thanks to the effort of people like Ms. Regina Zhao, Today we get to have a piece of our country in Taiwan. Yao, the organizer of the event, fell in love with Nicaragua after a trip to the country in January 2019. Half a year after her trip, she returned to Nicaragua with the goal of introducing the cuisine of Taiwan. She stayed for 10 months before returning to Taiwan due to the pandemic. Now she teaches at an elementary school. What I want is to be able to initiate arts and cultural exchanges between Nicaragua and Taiwan using our traditional music. There will also be Nicaraguan children performing music and dances from the country, so these two traditions can meet head-to-head -head while we enjoy some local treats. I think we are probably pioneers for events like this in Taiwan. The event was attended by Nicaragua's ambassador, as well as the head of the Central America Trade Office, Augusto Liao, and new Taipei councillor, Luo Wenchong. The officials enjoyed a day on the grass with music in the backdrop and Nicaraguan food to sample al fresco. Now, two escape artists from Taipei Zoo made headlines last year. They were Little Red, the anteater, and an endangered leopard cat named Feifei, both of whom sent zookeepers on an extensive search before they were finally recovered. Formosa News reporter Stephanie Yang finds out how they've been since their adventures. 
Last September, Little Red, the anteater, went missing with her daughter. Zookeepers found her daughter later in the day, but Little Red continued her journey. She vanished into the mountains of New Taipei until December 6, when she was discovered by hikers. After three months on the run, she was about a kilogram lighter and she had scratches on her body. She was placed under special care and is now firmly on the mend. Weight recovery is about the same as what we envisioned. She's only about 500 grams away from our goal. Our goal is 6.5 kilograms, and she's a little over 6 kilograms now. We've added some honeybee pupae and honey to her diet. We're giving her treats so that she won't want to leave. Her interactions with people are actually much better than they were before because maybe she's been wandering on her own for a while and she's enjoying being back. Feifei the leopard cat is also recovering well. Feifei, a rescued animal who was brought to the zoo with one leg missing, escaped from her enclosure in November. She was found 17 days later with a slight infection and elevated liver function values. Those values have since returned to normal, and she weighs more now than she did before leaving the zoo. As for her diet, she eats all the food we give her. Whatever amount is stipulated in the recipe, that's what she eats up. Feifei is adapting very well. She can climb up and down. Although she's missing a leg, she can still move up and down. As an endangered animal, Feifei will be joining the zoo's breeding and conservation program. She's living in an area with other protected cats and will not be going up for public display. As for Little Red, she's back in the rainforest zone in a private area where she can recuperate in peace. Zookeepers say they'll assess at a later date whether she's ready for the public limelight. For Mosa News, Stephanie Yang, Wu Dongmao in Taipei. Let's go now to Taidong to check out the biggest pork bone you've ever seen. After the chef turned to noodles for health reasons, he decided to offer an absolutely gigantic pork bone to top his famous noodle special. Some customers say it's bigger than their elbow. A thick soup bubbles on the flame constantly stirred. Three hours later, a bag full of big bones, offal and spices finally emerges, leaving a delicious broth bursting with nutritious collagen. Carefully chosen noodles are cooked to perfection, joined by a chunk of marinated pork. Finally, a big bone garnishes the dish. More than 20 centimeters long, it needs a bowl as wide as a face to hold it. Look at that chunk on the end. Its tender meat and the broth-infused chewy noodles attract hordes of customers. Tackling the big bone feels like a heroic task. I feel like a hero eating it. The big bone is what attracts me the most. It's so rich. The broth is a red braised soup. It's also pretty great. When I bring the dish over, the first thing everyone says is, wow, it's a great surprise. They don't know the big bone is that big. This is big pork bone. Customers don gloves to enter the fray. This is one meal you'll want to devour without a thought for the camera. This Taidong noodle shop is famous for the dish. Tons of collagen and protein, red braised broth, numbing and sweet spices. It's a winning combination. After my surgery, the doctor said I couldn't inhale kitchen oil fumes anymore. I'd been a chef 30 years. What was I supposed to do instead? I had nothing to amuse myself with. Then I thought, there's no grease in noodles, it's just steam. So I decided to sell big bone noodles. 
The chef says he selects only the best ingredients. And with refills of soup and noodles on the house, it's no wonder the place is so popular. The cold weather has sent Taiwan's flora and fauna into winter mode. Even the bold cypress has started to go red and drop its leaves in a stunning display. Let's head now to a cypress avenue in Jilong that was planted on an old garbage dump. In just a few short years, local ecologists have regenerated the area into a beauty spot. Bold cypress leaves turn at last to red. This 200-meter-long stretch of Bold Cypress Avenue lies in Jilong's Tianwaitian Repopulation Park. I realize that Jilong has such a paradise, and as part of the natural environment of Jilong that we've known so far, I think this is a beauty spot Jilong should really develop. This area was once a garbage dump. Now it's reblossomed into a natural idol. The Jilong Bureau of Environmental Protection planted about 400 trees here 10 years ago and successfully restored 250 to create the beautiful wintry wonderland you see today. The bald cypress has a very strong will to live. This area is very damp and waterlogged, so we've received an unexpected blessing by them growing here, and it was thanks to my colleagues' thoughtful care that they were able to grow up so sturdily. Winter light filters through the feathery foliage, lighting up the ombre tones of the leaves and making a bright yet cozy spot for wandering among the trees, a perfect location for a romantic walk. In the future, if there are subsidies we can apply for to central government agencies or other bodies, then of course that will be even better and we can make the area more beautiful. The bold cypress here go through a series of dazzling displays, bursting into color in spring and offering lush foliage in summer before turning red in autumn and offering an otherworldly atmosphere in winter. Another one to add to the bucket list.